And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. So I have my good friend from the Sleepy G Show, a.k.a. Gomez, from the Sleepy G Show. And I just want to say it's an honor and a privilege to be able to have him on here. We're going to be doing the Shawshank Redemption Review. So with further ado, let's welcome Gomez. Let's welcome the Sleepy G Show to Movie Loves Unite, and let's do it. Hey, what's up, Gomez? What's going on, John? How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing fantastic, man. I, either you have to get like here's the thing: you either have to get busy living, or you have to get busy dying. So, you know, I'd rather get busy living. Yeah, same here. But if I gotta get busy dying, at least I know I'm sleeping good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Such but, a bad know, joke. <laughs> it definitely is. But you know what, man? It's a privilege to have you here. We we've, we've done a lot of collaborations uh, between us since. Um, yeah. You know, since we actually did Playlist Wars, mm-hmm. I was on your show a couple of months back, you know, but just tell everybody about a little bit about the Sleepy G show. And then after that, we'll get into breaking down the Shawshank Redemption. So uh, Sleepy G show, uh, just it's a fun loving show, man. Um, all I do is uh, get guests on the show. Let's just talk, uh, ask a couple of questions and just let the guests talk, celebrate them, what they do. Actually, we had you on that's being released on May 30th. Uh, we talked about 80s TV shows. So it was it was totally fun, totally great time. And one thing I love about what I do is just that I make people feel great and they talk. Um, you know, I, I, it's just not all about one thing. It's about, um, so, you know, I had new, three New Jersey celebrities come on. I've had uh, uh, Jason Whistle from Canada. It's not that bad podcast. Brian Colburn, my weekly playlist, uh, my weekly playlist. AKA Playlist War is my partner on that one. I had you, John. I had so many great guests on this show. Um, actually, I had a couple of uh, friends who did met with mental health, uh, autism. And I got a friend of mine who works for a fit club in Verona, Alpha Fit Club, Steve Diaz. Um, and he's making a run for No Limits Cafe, uh, donating to him. You know what I mean? So I'm doing a couple of great things. I got some collaborations going on. Uh, you know, it, it's been a hell of a ride. You know, I do my blogs, too, on uh, SleevyGPodcasts.com. Um, you know, it found everywhere, man. YouTube, Good Pod, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere, man. Just having a great time. It's been a ball. All right. Well, without further ado, let's break this thing in. So this actually starts out in 1947. Andy Dufresne, Tim Robinson's character at Binker in Maine, is convicted of murdering his wife and her lover at Golf Pro. He is given two life sentences and sent to... The notoriously harsh Shawshank prison, Andy always claims his innocence, but his cold and measured demeanor led many to doubt his word. Also, to this, I want to just point this out. He has sent he has given two life sentences that he sent uh back to back. That's also another thing I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. But during the first night, the chief guard, Brian Hardley, Clancy Brown, savagely beats a newly arrived inmate because of his crying and his hysterics. The inmate later dies in the infirmary because the prison doctor had left for the night. So that's where we're going to camp out a little bit for this, uh, these two scenes. So what do you think about the fact that, you know, you have Tim Robbins in this movie as Andy Dufresne, he's sitting in his car. You're not sure where the scene is going to go because he has the gun in his hand. Next thing you know, it goes into the whole entire court and is breaking it down to this guy, Killed his wife on outrage of the fact that his wife was cheating on 
him with a pro golfer. And I'd like the little mystery element into it is like, okay, did he do it? Did he not do it? Even he's even not sure, not sure as well, because he's also been drinking that night. Mm -hmm. So his mind is totally blanked as well. He's like, well, maybe I did do it. Maybe I, maybe I don't remember or anything else because my rage that was inside of me, maybe forget everything around me. But what do you, what, what about you though? So when I saw the movie originally and I was watching that scene, you know, him playing, you know, drinking what looked like a bottle of whiskey um, or bourbon, same difference, doesn't really matter. But, you know, the gun in his hand when he's pulling the bullets in, you could tell he's pissed. Um, one thing I noticed was, you know, he drops the bullet, he drops a bunch of bullets and the bottle of bourbon right there, okay? Did he kill his wife in the golf pro or did he not? That's the question that still begs to differ because in court in that scene, he said he threw his gun into the river. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the lawyer or the defense lawyer said, well, we combed that river and we couldn't find a gun. So you're telling me you've really dug into the mud and looked for the gun, which you probably did not. And at that time, maybe didn't have, you know, what we have tonight today with technology. Don't get me wrong. You're talking about 1947 compared to 2023 and what we have here. But I, the, you're right. There is a little bit of a mystery. Did he kill the, did he kill the two? And then they, but there was one thing that I think where I thought he was innocent was that extra bullet for his, each of his lover. So that means he had a, which, which kind of still bothers me a little bit in the beginning of the movie was they never said that they had the bullets inside the house. So it was left inside the victims either. Yeah. So he shot the revolver and there were seven bullets, five shots. Plus he had a, reload the gun so you're telling me he kept all the bullets if he was that dead drunk he ain't picking up bullets no he's not he's so, gonna be staggering all over everything that right. also goes to show you how dense the court was actually during the 1947 where it's like well we got the gun we got the shells in a sense but we don't have the other stuff to show exclusive evidence well the other problem is they don't have the gun right so what happened to the gun the mysterious gun he said he threw it in the river they couldn't find it Fine, but yeah, I, I think that whole court system at 1947 was completely bull. So I think that the guy, you know, right there, the case should have been on a continuance, not going on, or should have been dismissed right at that point because of the lack of evidence. You know what I mean? Right. And and that's me again. I'm again, I'm no lawyer either, but I watch enough TV. <laughs> I watch, you know, I watch enough right. court TV these days that. To realize the lack of evidence that he should have been released. But it just goes to show you how naive the court system was. It's like, oh, yeah. well, you have a guy who's drunk. He has a he had a gun. He threw the, the threw it in the river. If he's innocent, then why would he throw it in the river to begin with? Correct. And so that's where they're looking at though, too, is that part of it as well. And it's kind of funny, like the judge, as the judge is about to render his sentence, and he said Mr. Dufresne, I find you cold. Well, of course you're going to find him cold because you're freaking blaming him for double murder. I would be cold too and scared out of my mind. Right, exactly. Does it look like I would be happy standing there in front of everybody swearing an oath to a murder that I may or may have not committed? Yeah, hold on. Hey, Judge, yeah, I killed him. There you go. I'm just happy to be here, Judge. (laughs) Just do what you will to me. I don't care. I would be cold and remorse myself. Right. Because you're trying to figure out in your head, I'm going to jail. 
for until I'm dead. I'm never going to get paroled. So what the hell? Right. So, I mean, but now, whenever he's now, here's the thing that I really liked was the introduction into the Shawshank uh, prison itself. Because mm-hmm. it's not just a prison to me. It's a character in itself. Oh, yeah. Look at the landscape and the wide shots of that prison. That was so cinematically done perfectly because you're right. Shawshank prison was its own character because it's a hidden piece. That's one thing I loved about that. You know, when the bus is coming in, the, 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 the orchestra playing that song, it just played so well. And then all the inmates coming real bit fresh fish. <laughs> and if people, if you don't know what fresh, fresh means, fresh fish means in jail terms, means those are the virgins like when we come out of our mothers they haven't been touched yet so they're you know they're kind of seeing who wins uh reds guys come up you know they're like hey you taking any bets yeah you know was i think it was smokes two packs of cigarettes no no it was either smokes or something else i forgot what it was it was smokes it was was cigarettes okay yeah like put me down for a quarter deck you know (laughs) and uh what was the one guy's name red he goes Put me for a quarter deck on the chubby right fat guy in the end right there, second <laughs> into the right. And and uh, not Red, not I forgot his character's name, but Red, Morgan Freeman's character goes, no, nah, I'm going to go with that tall drink of water at the end. And then everyone was betting. And you know what? That's a bet you lose big time because right. Andy didn't crack. Right, because Red is the one who ends up putting um... – putting money down on Andy to actually break. Andy didn't break. He cost him two packs of cigarettes that night. Yep. And somebody put said put um put some money on the pig because he's gonna be the one the first one to oink during yep. the during the night. Yep. And uh you know they went to the the inside they meet uh the warden and Hadley that that, that night right there. And it's an interesting system because of what did they do at nineteen forty seven at that time. They hold a line up and then they get pretty much naked. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the the wardens said, "Is you'll get two things out of Shaw out of here at Shawshank. You're going to get your rules, and you're going to have God. Everything else is your ass belongs to me." Yep. And that and that's true. He is as everyone's ass belonged to him because he ran that thing tight. He did. Uh, he ran and, a tight ship. Not only that, but even the prisoners also ran it too. So not yeah. only are you getting the uh, the main person in charge, you're also getting your ass in charge with the prisoners as well. Yeah. So yeah, the guards run it, but at the same time, the prisoners also run it just as much as the uh, cops do too. Well, what I love about this movie though is Morgan Freeman is talking over where they're doing the delousing yeah. stages and the, and you know cleaning them up and throwing the delouse and they're walking them in the jail butt naked into their cells. So, I mean, I think they did that so perfectly, like Morgan Freeman's voice. You know what I mean? Um, I think so, too. You know, and then, um, you know, everyone's sitting there and, you know, oh, here's, you know, people like Fresh Fish. Fish. Come on. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, the one guy goes, hey, lard ass. I got some people who love to make your acquaintance and press on that squishy butt of yours. And there he broke. That, yeah, you know, and, and everyone was already scared as is, but yeah. you know, uh, that's whenever after the lights go out, yep, and everybody the cell is quiet, and then the prisoners are trying to break them to where 
they're trying to get their weakness, and that's exactly what happens to the guy, to that guy. Well, I think his chubby fat guy was right in the middle of freaking you know central. Andy Dufresne was on the third floor on the corner, so no one's gonna bother that guy. You know that was no. that it was not poorly done. It was poorly done direct wise, but strategically for him not to break was perfect for him. Right. You know what I mean? I think if Andy was in the middle somewhere. And hearing that, I think he could have bro- he could have broken. We never will never know that answer, right? You know but because I mean? of the fact that you have the weakest person at the bottom jail, where they can just yank him out of there, yeah. was actually perfect. Yeah, because think of it like this: someone breaks, and let's say they're on the second floor of that prison. It's going to take them a while to get to you with that with the guards. They, with the first floor, you can grab the weakest person and just. Do whatever you want with them. Just yank yeah. them out of the jail cell and drag them out. Oh, without a doubt. So, I mean, but, they get their living crap out of the guy, too, with a nightstick and feet. Exactly. But I, another thing, though, that I really liked was the Morgan Freeman dialogue about how, you know, they drag you out of they drag you out onto the thing naked as a jaybird on your birthday. That was mm-hmm. actually one of the quotes that he winds up saying. Yeah. And, you know, I thought the cinematography within that, the jail cell itself with that actually shows you the real life and the realism of what goes on in those prison walls. And, you know, and again, and this is 1947 at 2023. So prison life is totally different. You know what I mean? Their, their, bar, their, their walls were made of these cheap ass concrete too. Right. You know, what I mean? but and, we'll get into later on that. Yeah, one. Yeah. We'll get into that. But you know, I like how Morgan Freeman goes that because Andy didn't break, he ended up causing me two packs of cigarettes. Yeah, that's a lot in jail. Yep, it's like peanut butter. <laughs> exactly. So now we're going to go into a month later. Andy approaches Red, who runs a court, court uh, well, contraband inside the walls of Shawshank. Mm-hmm. He asked Red to find him a rock hammer, an instrument he claims is necessary for this hobby of rock collecting and sculpting. Though, though other prisoners consider Andy a really cold fish, Red sees something in Andy, and he likes likes him from the start. Red believes Andy intends to use the hammer to engineer his escape in the future, but when the tool arrives he and he sees how small it is, Red puts a uh, Puts aside the thought that Andy could ever use it uh, to dig his way out of prison. Uh, the the infamous rock hammer, <laughs> yes. So that scene, as he meets Red, Andy meets Red for the first time a month into prison. Um, one of the lines he goes, he goes, ah, the wife killing banker. Everyone says you're a cold fish, but uh, Boggs has a liking to you, and maybe I should tell him that I'm not really gay. <laughs> It goes, they don't matter here. Matter. Neither are they. Neither do they. (laughs) So, little scary thing in prison. Yes, that does happen in real life. Um, and the funny thing is, is that you know, as they're talking, and um, he goes, he goes, I heard you're the man that can get certain things. Yeah, I'm I'm known to get certain things from time to time. And that's when he explains about the rock hammer. He goes, Oh, and probably you want to stick that rock hammer in somebody's head. You know, AK aiming it at Boggs. You know what I mean? He's like, he goes, right. he goes, you'll get it when you see it because it's not this big, not that bag. And then he starts talking about how much he's going to quote him, which is kind of funny. Now, 1947 to get $10 out of a prison. I'm going, that's a lot of money. 
That is a lot of money. Okay, $10 now is nothing in a prison. But you're working maybe pennies at a time, 10 cents a day, 10 cents a couple hours to get 10 bucks. You know, it's like, you know, what does he say? The higher the quality of the item, higher the price goes. So, you know, he asked where he gets all any kind of rock and gem shop. And, um, you know, he, he said, and one thing that Andy said, he goes, I used to be, I used to be a rock hound, like quartz, lime. And he says this, he goes, I, I used to do this outside of my life. I would like to do it in my inside life now. So now he's just closed the chapter of what his life was before, after now. And he's starting his jail chapter life. And, um, and he goes, and he, I remember he said, he goes, how big is this? He goes, you'll see. It, you know, you're, I'm not breaking out of jail with this damn thing. But yeah, even he says that I can get you anything that you want. Yeah. But if it involves uh, murdering somebody with this rock hammer, then I don't want no part of it. Mm-hmm. And if you get caught with it, because I run contraband here, uh, you never heard of me. I never heard of you. Yep. And you're going to go your way. I'll go my way kind of thing. And that's it. I won't do business with you anymore. And then Andy goes, trust me, it's nothing that you're going to have to worry about. Right. And because then, it was so small. Right. Even even when Andy gives him the dimensions of how small it is. And there's a difference between uh, telling somebody how small something is versus how big something is. Once you actually look in the context of it, when you receive something. Exactly. So whenever I like how Brooks is over there, uh, I like how the system is run by red where first we wind up seeing it being snuck into the prison with, Mm -hmm. um, with the linens. And then it goes from the linens over to Brooks and Brooks. uh, Wasn't Brooks. It wasn't Brooks. It was another guy. It, um, it was not Brooks. It was another guy. It was, a. it was, it went from the, the trucker guy who brings in the linens, yeah. he threw it to some. He threw it to one of the other guys, saying, "Here's your shit." You like, excuse my language. Here's your stuff. No, no, you're he, good. He threw it on him, and then he, and then he packed it in in Red's uh, linens and his bed stuff. And he's like, "Red," and he goes, he he puts down a pack of cigarettes. Here you go, man. It wasn't Brooks. Brooks Hadley was the librarian. So Brooks, I mean, Brooks was in that scene when they're in the talking. You know, when they were talking about the the guy died because uh, he was asking about Andy's warm. Could, could uh, he feed his crow that warm? I remember that much. It wasn't Brooks Hadley. Brooks Hadley was the uh, the librarian. I forgot the name. Right. Of the gen- but Brooks also had the – it's not Andy the book, though. That oh, yeah, also had Yes, yes. Yeah, I because remember. it went through three different people. It went through three. the person who had, um, who had brought the linens and then the person who actually had the blankets – and then it went to Brooks. Now, my question is this. It's kind of funny. Morgan Freeman's character, how many freaking packs of cigarettes does this guy have? Because he was giving packs out like if it was nothing. And the funny thing is he's the one who lost because of Andy, because Andy made him lose two packs of cigarettes. But this guy is, has like a backstage pass to cigarettes, like like it's going out of style. Uh, he gets so a he must have another – right. Yeah, he gives a half a pack to uh, Brooks. You know, he gives a pack, two packs to the guy who gives him the linen. You know, it's like, dude, like, seriously, how many packs of cigarettes do you have under your bunk? And you don't smoke. He doesn't even smoke throughout the show movie. No, he doesn't. He just 
He just uses it as a hustle, though, a side yeah. hustle to get prisoners whatever they want so that yep. he can operate his contraband. Yeah, and that's true. what I like about him, though, is to, he knows how to get stuff in mm-hmm. and knows how to work the system to get what he wants and also get what the prisoners want, too. Yep. So not only does it benefit him, it also benefits the prisoners, too. And he has it this does. whole entire system worked out to a T. He does. And that's why he's smart. <laughs> so then we also have during the first two years of his incarnation, uh, Andy works in the prison laundry. He attacks attention from the sisters, a group of prisoners who sexually assault other prisoners. Though he uh, presently resists and fights them, Andy is beaten. And even though it doesn't show it, but we all also know what winds up happening to Andy whenever he's beaten on a regular basis. So poor Andy. Um, when I think the first time is when he was changing the movie reel. Uh, he was going. He he actually well, goes. In, he goes to see Red before that. He sees is, Red. That was the second. That was the second. Uh, second. Was it, was it the second one? Yeah, the first time. Oh no, the was, first one was it was he was in the laundry. You're right. He went to go get the. Right. Uh, he went to go get the soap. Sorry, and yeah. then he's like, um, you know, he he fought back pretty quickly, and and they have him on his. I think was it his um in his arms? Yeah, and it was just weird. Like you know what I mean? He just. Andy just goes into a tantrum and it scares the crap out of them because you never see Boggs like get scared all of a sudden. He beat right. the cra- he beats the crap out of Andy. He was in what he was in the infirmary for a month. They, I think Red said. Yeah, he was in the infirmary for at least two or three months, but that was on the second attempt. The first attempt, was, nothing really happened to him or anything okay. like that. It was uh, just like a little beat down. Yeah, it was a beat down and a shakedown because remember. He was trying. The sisters were trying to make moves on Andy inside the shower. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, "Oh, okay, you're playing hard to get. I like that." Okay. Yeah, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, and so that was actually uh, just basically Andy just walking away from them, and then that just antagonized them even more to where they're like, "Okay, we're gonna get you whenever you least expect it," which happens to be the laundry room. Yeah, and then he steps out behind the laundry room to get something, and then that's when the sisters start attacking him. Right, and that's where he said, "If if I if you get this in your eyes, because he opened up the uh, the lid where the soap was, he said, if if this gets in your eyes, you're gonna go totally blind." Right, and then then somebody snuck up behind him, and then that's when they started beating the crap out of him, and then that's when Red, the monologue from Morgan Freeman comes mm-hmm. in. He goes, "I wish I could tell you that Andy fought the good fight that day, yeah. but it's prison, and there's no good days in prison." And I think Boggs was in the hole for like a week. He's like, yeah. all right. He goes, all right, Boggs, you're done. Um, then Red pulls some strings and gets Andy and a few of their mutual friends a break by getting them all on a work detail, tearing the roof off of one of the prison's buildings. During the job, Andy overhears Hadley complaining about having to pay taxes for an upcoming inheritance, which is $35,000, drawing on his ex- ex- expertise as a banker. Andy... Let's hardly know that he can shelter his money from the IRS, turning it into a one-time gift for his wife. He says he'll assist in exchange for some cold beers for his fellow inmates while on the tearing job. Mm-hmm. Um, then, though he at the uh, first threatens to throw Andy off the roof, Higley, yeah. the most brutal guard in the prison, agrees, providing the men with cold beer before the job is finished. Red remarks that Andy may have engineered the privilege to build 
favor with the prison uh, prison guards as much as with the fellow inmates. But Red also thinks Andy did it simply to feel free. Um, great. That's that was a great scene. That whole scene right there. So, um, you know, uh, Norton, uh, Ward Norton, eh, came the the warden Norton could <laughs> could say that twice and I could right. so the warden Norton um, Norton who is the warden of Shawshank um, is like hey the factory and the roof and the license plate roof needs re retarring and I hear Red going ah May what a fine time to be outside and doing something it's a it May's a perfect time right exactly not too hot not too cold. And but yes. also, too, it's also a perfect time for Andy because of the fact he doesn't have to deal with the sisters at yeah. that point either. So it cuts him a break because that's what I think why Andy also did it, too. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I'm getting my ass beat, beat into me every single day that I turn around because of the sisters. Yeah. So I need a break here. So he decides, OK, well, I'm going to get red over here. I'm going to get all these other guys and we're going to do the towering of the roof, which is actually so, perfect. It is perfect. So. You know, you hear the times like, oh, my brother died and he left me 40 grand. He's like, dollars? No. <laughs> he left me pesos, you moron. <laughs> of course, $40,000. And of course, you know, uh, Andy Dufresne hears it. You know, oh, I got to pay this. I got I got to pay taxes on that. I got to take the kids. You know, he's complaining about his whole family except for himself. But Andy hears it. It's like, hey, listen, I could help you with this. He, the question goes, Mr. Hadley, do you love your wife? What'd you say? You're that bank. You're that bank wife killer, aren't you? It's like, do you do you think? What I mean is, do you think your wife will ever cheat on you? Watch out, this man's about to have an accident. You know what I mean? And then that's where he's hanging, and he's explaining why. And the thing is, like, you know, oh, you can get a banker, but it's going to cost you money. But if you can get the papers, I can do it for free. The only thing I'll ask is uh, three three suds for each one of my coworkers. And the one guy goes, huh, hear this. Co-workers. <laughs> you know what? I understand it why he said that because he feels like he's working. Right. But it I, doesn't feel like he's in prison. It yeah. actually makes him feel like he's, he's part of his activity of tearing down a roof. Right. You're with a bunch of guys. You're joking around. Yeah, you're up there with the guards, but at the same time, you have some normalization for just a little bit, you know? So and I remember uh Red's monologue is like he says. He goes, the day before the last day of tarring the roof of the factory, Hadley brought up beers and you hear Hadley goes, drink it while it's cold, ladies. You know, and he goes, that Colossus prick Hadley actually sounded human. Right. You know what I mean? It was the one time you ever hear him sound like that because the crew was working their asses off to getting that thing done. And to get those beers for them in the tar buckets, by the way, cold. You know what I mean? And the and the guards are drinking beers too. Right. Everyone's but drinking it actually feels like that they're working for a supervisor on the roof and right. just and the your supervisor just talking shit. Mm-hmm. Hurry up, ladies. I we need to get this done before the day is out, basically. Yeah. So yeah, you have some tom- some normalization, but I also like how one of the characters look over to Red, goes, Look, we're over here. Uh, drinking Andy's beers and he's not even able to enjoy it. So, and you see the smirk on Andy's face, this smile on his face, just enjoying the fact that, you know, that for one little moment, 
a piece for him to feel normal meant a lot more than beer. Yeah. And I like how the character goes over to me. He goes, Hey Andy, here's, here's your beer. He goes, nah, man, I'm good. He goes, I stopped drinking. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy enjoy it. it. And that's something I I respect Andy for doing that. You know what I mean? And I think that's where you see the guy starting to like Andy for who he really is. He's not a, he's not a con artist. He's not a bullshitter. He's, he's straightforward. He's going to tell you how it is. Exactly. And then I like also, too, how Morgan Freeman's monologue comes in because maybe Andy felt wanted to feel normal for the day or maybe yeah. because he just um, I forgot the rest of the dialogue. He, he, he was talking about, you know, maybe he'll you know, maybe the guards will owe him a favor one day or maybe Andy just felt like he, he could be free for a day. You know what right. I mean? So it was just trying to trying to speculate. Why did Andy do it? Exactly. But I think it was just for him to feel normal. I don't think it was to make do this whole entire thing of, oh, I can get in good with these guards and I can handle their taxes later yeah. on. He just did it just to help him out because he has an ear for that. Yeah. Even though he came across uh, the prison guard is like, so how much do you love your li- wife, buddy? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I, it, it's funny. Yeah, you're right. And it's one of those things. So, again, right. it, just a great that one of the, my favorite scenes in that movie, though. I will say that one of them. Right. So now we're getting over to Warden Samuel Norton, uh, which is played by Bob Gutton. He hears about how Andy helped Haley and uses a surprise cell inspection to seize Andy up, to size Andy up. Basically, the warden meets with Andy and sends him to work with uh, with aging inmate Brooke Hedlund, played by James Whitmore, in the prison library, where he sets up a makeshift desk to provide his service to other guards and the warden himself with income tax returns and other financial advice and sees an opportunity to expand the prison library. He starts by asking the main state Senate for funds. He writes letters every week. His financial support practice is so appreciated that even guards from other prisons, when they visit for interior prison baseball matches, seek Andy's financial advice. Andy prepares uh, Norton's tax returns the next season. So at those scenes with him going through tax season, um, that was a pretty important part um, because the surprise inspection, um, you know, what's kind of funny is that um, in the movie, you don't realize what's in in the Bible. It doesn't open the Bible. We'll talk about that a little bit too. And, um, and I remember Norton goes, ah, I heard you're good with numbers. He goes, yeah. As, you know, Hadley's looking around and he asked about the uh, sc- the the bright pads and the scotch and, you know, smoothing pads. And I was like, oh, it's for shaping rocks, a little hobby I have. You know what I mean? So they look, oh, okay. You know, and then, of course, there's a poster of a half-naked woman in Warden's like, ah, I, don't I don't really know. approve of this. I don't really approve of this, but I'll let it go. You know, so you can tell he, he believes in the Lord. He believes in his faith. That's one thing. I'll give Warren Norton a little credit on that. Um, and it's kind of funny, you know, like he said, so I heard you're good with numbers, too. He's like, yep. And, you know, got him out of the laundry. You know what I mean? It, then he goes to Brooks, um, you know, as is his assistant in the library, which is a little shit box in the freaking prison cell you know what i mean like it's so small that it's like you're surprised uh how small it is and um hallie comes with one of the guards and is saying 
I want to set up some kind of trust fund for my kids for college. And that's how it started. You know what I mean? And then he started talking. It's like they're eating lunch. And uh, one of the guys goes, I swear to God, he asked him if he wanted to go to Harvard or Yale. That was one of those funny scenes. But yeah, then all the, you know, Andy's giving the, the other officers from other prisons when it came to tax season, he was allowed a staff, you know what I mean? So Red was part of that staff. A lot of his friends were part of that staff. And um, it was like, I remember one of the prisoners goes, yeah, I had to buy the damn holster too. He goes, see, that's tax deductible. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> right. And you see all these guys, the cops, and you see Norton doing his taxes. But Norton was sizing them up, just like Morgan Freeman's character said in that little monologue. Warren, more, Norton is sizing up Andy for something bigger. Right. And, and also, too, the Bible uh, scripture that they use for this, where uh, he goes, so what what um, scripture do you like out of it? What's your favorite uh, oh, Yes. And Andy goes, watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the masters of the house cometh. And Warren Samuel responds with Mark 13, 35. Uh, he goes, nice, but mine is Mark 13, 35. I've always liked that one, but I prefer I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall not, but shall have the light of life. Mm-hmm. And to me, this actually just shows the ignorance of the warden because yep. the fact he thinks of himself as the light shining into the darkness of that prison right. cell. And he can do whatever he wants because he thinks that he is the light. He thinks he is the higher anarchy, the high power of that prison to do whatever the hell he wants. Mm-hmm. And so fear because he is the warden. Right. And you got Hadley as the right-hand man. Right. So, I mean, I would definitely believe that, too. You know what I mean? It's just, that's how prison is. <laughs> right. And But I also liked how, like you said, the Bible is not even opened. And no. I lo- and Andy knew how to play it to a T because of the fact that he's like, okay, I'm going to memorize a scripture that I know that he'll take the bait on. Yeah. And therefore, he, there's no reason to even search my Bible. Or but anything like that. You do see Andy's eyes. If any of you guys pay attention like to certain details of a movie, like sometimes I do, the expression is when you see his eyes bug out when he took the, the Bible. When he picked up the Bible, it's like, oh, I'm glad to see you're using this. Andy Dufresne's eyes were like, oh shit. Like he just took my Bible. He, there's my rock hammer. You know what I mean? Because he couldn't find it. I need to go back and rewatch that again because I was trying to look at little small details here and there, even though I know of the plot twists and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was always trying to notice something different whenever I rewatch a movie that has a twist. So I never noticed that little small. It's it's like he like you not. It's subtle because you really don't see it. But a guy who like me who looks at it, you're like, like he gave like that face. Like, oh, shit, he took my Bible. And as right. he was closing it, he says, oh, I don't want to deprive you of this. And as the as the cell closes, he gives it back to Andy. So there's a little respect factor that, you know, Andy does read the Bible probably, or he has read it several times. Um, but that's like that book is a key part of the whole movie, too. Right. And then I lost like a, like I thought it was actually funny about him doing taxes for the prison guards and then mm-hmm. doing taxes for the warden, because now you're seeing perspective outside the prison gates um, because those walls are pretty much knocked down now to where people forget that he's a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
because of that, they they're letting him have a free range of their tax returns, yeah. knowing what they're doing, all the sneaky stuff. And you know, I definitely like how they just normalize Andy a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, Andy was smart. You know, um, you know, he would write a letter a month to the state to open to expand the library. You know what I mean? And um, you know, Norn said it is like, go ahead, write your letters. I'll even mail them out for you. You know, and then they bribed him with, I guess, to shut him up was a five hundred dollar check. And right. then and then he goes, you know what? I I'll now I'm gonna write these letters once a week. And then they they shipped him how many books, how many stuff, records. You know what I mean? And, right. uh, you know, I think that's probably the next thing we're going to probably end up talking about right now. Right. Because get this, not long afterwards, Brooks, the old librarian, threatens to kill another prisoner, Haywood, in order to avoid being paroled. Mm -hmm. Andy is able to talk him down. Brooks is paroled. He goes to a halfway house but finds it impossible to adjust to life outside of the prison. He eventually commits suicide when his friends suggest that he was crazy for doing so. Britt tells them that Brooks had obviously become institutionalized, insinuating continue, uh, condition to be a prisoner for the rest of his life and unable to adapt to the outside world. Red uh, remarks, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so used to depending on them. And also, too, he said, outside of the world that I live in, if, like, if I got like go, I'm not an important person outside in this world or anything either. He goes, I'm the man who can get stuff, but outside mm -hmm. these gates, I'm nobody. I'm just sure some show. Yep. Right. And that's the truth. Um, you know, seeing uh, Brooks kind of, you know, trying to kill to stay in prison, I get it, because when you're institutionalized for such a long time, like Brooks and Red and them, for 30, 40, 50 years, you, you only know one life. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, Brooks goes on and as the as he's reading as Andy's reading the letter as Brooks has, would, has written it, um, it's something kind of important in the movie. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, you know, the world has changed so much as I've seen it last. Cars are faster. You know, uh, he's talking about something that you would read in a book or a magazine. Yeah. Is what he said. Yeah. And, um, you know, he sees uh, the store. He goes, oh, maybe I should buy a gun and hold up the store and they'll send me back to prison. Um, and then he gets on the chair and wrote Brooks was here and hung himself, which is, I guess, a part of the movie I wasn't expecting after the first time I saw it. I wasn't expecting him to hang himself. I, I literally thought he bought the gun and shot himself, but I wasn't expecting a hanging. But I think it was also a message to people that are in that are going to be back over into where Brooks is. Either you can live like the way Brooks did, right, or you can live out your life and not be institutionalized and try to have some light inside your, that darkness that you have mm -hmm. and everything. So I think that was the willpower that Red had whenever he went into that halfway house too, of him looking up at um. At Brooks's name, which we'll get to that later on. Yeah, but but you know that's what I had thought whenever I first saw, seen that though too. But I had a feeling that he was gonna 
die because of how old he is and him well, getting sent back to prison. I'm like, yeah, they're not he's they're not gonna put him back to prison or anything like that because of how how old he is. I oh, thought he would have died of natural causes, not by hanging yeah. though. I gotcha. Uh, but yeah, then, you know, I like how also, too, whenever he gets paroled and everybody's like, man, you're nuts. I would be ki- I would kill to be out on the streets right now. Mm-hmm. And here you are wanting to stay in prison. And then Red has to hold back a little bit. He goes, wait, he's not overreacting like you guys think you like he is. He's an important person as just as much as an important person as I am. Right. He's a person that uh, collects books, likes reading, hands out books out in the world. He's nobody. He's nobody. Yeah, exactly. He's an important man in in Shawshank, right? You know, so and that's so, that's hard though when you when you take away someone's freedom like that, but you become important in the inside because he ran the library and everything. So exactly. But yeah, then like you mentioned before about Andy writing the letters because even whenever he goes, well. Andy looks at the warden and goes, well, we need new books. We need new stuff here. Things are falling apart. Old National Geographic books that they have and things right. like that. And the warden goes, well, you're more than welcome to write to uh, write to different libraries if you want, choose to do so and stuff like that. But I don't think you're going to end up um, coming out on top on anything. Right. Goes, okay. So then after six years of writing letters, Andy receives $200 from the state for the library, along with a collection of old books and Phonograph records. So the state Senate thinks this will be enough to get Andy to halt his letter writing campaign. He is un, undaunted and rebellious for his mm-hmm. efforts. So for him to do that, and he gets it, let me tell you, he he gets all those books, the records. He he really made a fine library anybody's seen in prison. And what's what was really cool is they made it. The Brooks have a library. They named it after Brooks, which was very respectful by that team. I remember when, um, you know, the one guard goes, hey, get rid of everything before the captain sees sees this, all this. I'm going to go pinch a loaf. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. If anybody doesn't know what pinching a loaf is, you think about it, you want to go take a crap. So right. um, at that part of the scene, he takes um, – one of the records out that I guess he used to listen to when he in his and his free time and he starts blasting it through the PA system. Yeah, Balls it's actually it. a copy of Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Okay. Well, well, I should have known it was Mozart because he said, Hey Mozart, they let you tote that thing that record player down. <laughs> because uh, I didn't think about that until now that you said it. Um, so he locks the door. You know, everyone's trying to get in, and uh, Hadley breaks the window, and Dufresne gets him. I, I guess a month in the hole or a week in the hole, whatever it is. And he comes out eating lunch, and the the best line goes, "Hey, he goes, couldn't you play some Hank Williams?" He go, "I'm sorry, they busted the door down before I was able to take any requests." <laughs> so, <laughs> like he was a DJ for the day. It's like, yeah. okay, well, I only have one shot, one opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Mom's spaghetti on my shirt, so I'm going to go ahead and play you one record before I have to go back into so, the pen. So that was one of those quirky, funny one-liners of his, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and then they introduced the, the young gun coming into yep. prison at that point. Um, well, let me uh, – but I want to also go back on something real quick if you don't mind. No, no, it's fine. 
Uh, but yeah, it's where Red remarks that the voices of the woman in the intro made everyone feel free. Mm-hmm. If only for a brief time outside the office, Dorn appears furious at the fact that of defiance and orders Andy to turn off the record player. Andy reaches for the needle arm at first, then turns the volume on the phonograph up. Like you said, the warning orders Haley to break into the office, and Andy is sent immediately to solitary confinement for two weeks. When he gets out, he tells his friends that the uh, stretch was the ex- easiest time he ever had done in the hole because he spent it thinking about Mozart's Figaro. When the other prisoners tell him how unlikely that he is, he replies that hope can sustain them. Red is not convinced and leaves bitter at the thought. Yeah, I'm gonna give Andy credit on that one because just because he had the balls to do it. Okay, and then now we get into this whole entire deal where Andy wants to help uh, young prisoners to, um, you know, to basically help them with their education, get their GEDs or stuff, yeah. just to really improve prison life for other for people who are gonna get paroled, maybe. Right. Um, that's and- respectful. I love that. I love that he did that. And with the enlarged library of more materials, Andy begins to teach those inmates who want to receive their high school diplomas after Andy is able to secure a a steady stream of funding from the various sources. The library is further renovated and named for books. Like you said, Warner Norton profits on Andy's knowledge of accounting and devices, a scheme whereby he puts a prison inmates to work in public projects, which he wins out a bit, uh, bidding other contractors, prisoners, and cheap labor. Occasionally, he lets other get others get some contracts that they bribe him. Andy launders money for the warden by setting up many accounts in different banks, along with several investments using a fake identity named Randall Stevens. He shares the details only with his friend Red, nothing that he had to go to prison to learn how to be a criminal. Second cousin to Harvey the Red. <laughs> I love that scene uh, when he talks about that. He goes outside, and this is one of my favorite scenes. This is one of my top favorite scenes, my number one, I think. And he goes, before we get into that, I lo- the, I'll tell you why I love this scene, this scene is because how Andy talks. He goes, in my outside life, I was a clean guy, everything by the rules. But here in prison, I learned how to do this. I learned how to be a crook. Go figure. You know what I mean? So uh, he was explaining to Red, you know, Randall Stevens, he's the man who did it. He's the one with the Social Security, the driver's license, and the, the account name, sir. And who is it? He goes, second cousin to Harvey the Rat. He's a phantom. I made him up. He goes, how the hell did you do that? And, you know, that's something you have to respect because he learned it to do it in prison. Because he's right. he's laundering the money for the warden at that time. You know, like you said, in every single spot there was a – uh, money laundering going on and you know every shady deal Andy knew about and there was a ledger right and then I like how Red goes who is that he goes he's nobody he doesn't exist he's a figment of my imagination, imagination. right and so and, he, uh, and I like how Red just has that little smirk on his face he goes okay you're you're a clever SOB uh, yep. I, I'll yep. give you that yep and he goes I had to learn to be like that in prison go figure <laughs> but that's the thing um in that scene, uh, you see him teaching, and then you see the guy, the newcomer, Tommy. Yeah, you know? and okay, that's in 1965. Yes. A young prisoner named Tommy, uh, played by Gil Billows, comes to Shawshank. Andy suggests that Tommy take up another line of work besides theft. The suggestion really gets to Tommy, and he works 
on earning out his high school uh, diploma. Though Tommy is a good student, he is still frustrated when he takes the exam itself, crumbling it up and tossing it into the trash, and Andy retrieves it and sends it in. So Mr. Rock and Roll, they call him. You know, he he makes fun of the old guys because now they're a little seasoned, I guess is the best way to put it. And he's like, hurry up, boys. You're making you're, you're slow as molasses. You're making me look bad, boys. <laughs> and they called him Mr. Rock and Roll. And I like that. He was he was a fresh face to the group. You know what I mean? Um, he's also spent a lot of time in prisons all over New England. He was talking about that stretch of time he's done everywhere. And I like um, Andy's line. He goes, he goes, huh. You might want to switch professor. He goes, what's it to you, Capone? Because he has that, <laughs> that side hair. He goes, well, obviously, you're not a very good thief if you're getting busted. <laughs> right. And he, goes, he was like, oh, yeah, what are you in here? And I'll say this explicitly. He goes, lawyer fucked me. <laughs> like with a straight face. <laughs> and that's something that was said in the beginning of the movie, which we didn't say. But, you know, right. um, it was one of one of the guy's lines. And he pays respect to all the his friends at that lunch table because – they helped him be who he is now, right? In prison, and they're friends, and that's something that's big. But also, Tommy takes a test and gets frustrated. I don't know. Listen, I'm not a good test taker, too. I would have been in the same boat as him. But he's trying to do right because he's got a wife and kid on the outside, right? And basically, Tommy looks like an equivalent to Elvis because yeah. of the fact with the sideburns and stuff like that, which also resembles the rock and roll uh, name that they gave him yeah. as well. And yeah, they are a lot more seasoned now. The prisoners are uh, Andy, of course, is already adapted into the life now. And, you know, it, there's also this because everybody over here is innocent. No, not one of us did anything wrong. Right. Because he goes, I didn't do it. He goes, of course you didn't. Everybody over here is, uh, is innocent. So I like how even Andy's playing into it now. Yeah. Cause that's what everyone says now. And, um, Tommy was just a good fresh breath of fresh air. Unfortunately, you know, he met his demise uh, mm-hmm. in, part, in part of the movie uh, because he tells Andy something during his time in jail. Right. Which winds up being like this. One day, Red tells Tommy about Andy's case. Tommy is visibly upset at hearing Andy's story and tells Andy and Red that he had a cellmate and another person who boasted about killing a man who has a pro golfer at the country club uh, he worked at along with his lover, the woman's husband, a banker had gone to prison for those murders with this new information. Andy full of hope meets with the warden expecting North to help him get another trial with Tommy as a witness. The reaction from Norton is completely contrary to what Andy hoped for when Andy says empathically that he would never reveal the money laundering schemes. He set up for Norton over the years, the warden becomes furious and others, uh, orders him to solitary for a month. The warden later meets with Tommy alone and asks him if he will testify on Andy's behalf. Tommy enthusiastically agrees, and the warden has him shot dead by Hadley. So that scene escalated so much um, when Tommy explains that to Red, and then you see Andy listening to it, and you see the flashbacks of this guy, you know what I mean? It makes you wonder, did he kill him? Did he find the gun and killed them? Because again, the gun was never found to be honest with you. I'm thinking that it was just a coincidental thing where basically two, 
Andy being there at the right time at the wrong time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Really being there at the wrong time and just happens to be coincidental. I'm thinking somebody had the same type of gun that Andy happened to have. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. It could have been. So as he explains to the Warren that he wants to get a retrial and everything, he goes, how can you be so obtuse? Like, how can you be so stupid? How can you not believe this? You know what I mean? And he send Andy back. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Andy is fighting for his life. He And then he meets with Tommy, has a smoke. And then you shouldn't, he should have, Tommy should have known something was up. Because the warden is meeting him outside the prison gate. You know what I mean? And right. he offers don't him forget. a smoke. But don't forget, this guy also been busted like four or five times for for crime, so he's True. not very street streetwise. True, but he should have taken a freaking hint when you're outside the wind, the freaking fence. That's true. You know what I mean? And then, have, you know, Warden is smoking a cigarette with Tommy, and they talked, and he just gives him a look, and Hallie shoots the guy dead. And right, and that broke my heart. That scene breaks my heart. Yeah, that was a tough that. scene watching that. It was a tough scene. Because we all liked them, and uh, you know, it's one of those things. It, it, that scene broke my heart. It also breaks Andy to the point where he's like, "Well, damn, I finally have someone to prove my innocence to." Yeah, and now I can't because now the person who was going to testify is now dead. The mm-hmm. only reason why I'm even in here now is because I was falsely um, victim of a crime that he didn't commit at all, and he is actually innocent. And that pisses him off even more. And then on top of that, you have Hadley who wants him in prison because of the fact that's benefiting him for his money laundering scheme. If Andy wouldn't have had helped him, I think during that time, he might have had a 50 50 shot of maybe Hadley maybe helping him. I don't think that Hadley would have helped him, neither would Norton. I think they would just they would have stuck to the guns to the way that was because that's what they were doing. That you know, when you're when you are doing shady crap in a prison or doesn't even matter if it's in prison, you're you know at work or something, you're never going to change. So Ward Norton got net greedy, so did Hadley. They liked what they were getting on the side, and you know, and you shoot the one thing. Now you know this is where now Andy's breaking down everything. You know, the guy that might have killed his his ex wife in the golf cheating golf pro. He Tommy's death. Him, Brooks Hadley's death, you know, Red getting not paroled the last couple of times. This all now is playing in his head like he needs to get the hell out of Shawshank. And this is where I think we get into the next scene already, you know, is seeing Andy break, try to break out of prison. Now, that's where the now the little rock hammer we talked about, talked about in the beginning of the show, the little rock hammer. The joke was. It'd take him a hundred years to break out of prison with that little thing. So what happens? He starts carving his name behind the poster of the inside the prison wall. And what do you know? It's soapstone. Soapstone is a cheap ass plaster. So what does he do? Little by little, he starts scraping <laughs> the wall and making a the circle. And then as Red's explaining this, he said. And he loved, you know what Andy loved doing? Was toting his wool on the prison playgrounds, leaving the dirt and everything right there and all that. Because Andy had enough. That Tom, The death of Tommy broke his back. Right. And like enough is enough with this gaming, the getting away with stuff. 
the murders, the murders and everything. He's like, I had enough. I'm an innocent man. I should not be here now, now that I know my innocence. So what's the point of me being here? I wasted all my life here since 1940s. And now here I am in the 1965 era. And here I am doing things that a prisoners do when I shouldn't even be here. I'm mm-hmm. done. So he plans his escape. And not everyone's realizing. And Red said something. He goes, you know, something's wrong with Andy. I'm really worried about him. It was like, oh, and um, forgot the Haywood. Haywood, that's the guy's name. Yeah. Haywood. Haywood goes, oh, shoot. I gave him like two feet of rope <laughs> or two or three feet of rope. It's like, you dumbass. Like, why would you do that? Because now they think Andy's hanging himself, not realizing, not even Ren knew he was thinking about prison break. So during those scenes, you see Andy get everything ready. You know, so he had a, something in his back, the papers and a book, which AK was the Bible. Yep. And for anybody who's not seen this movie, I'm sorry, we're going to ruin the ending. Uh, well, it's been out since 30, it's been 30 years. So I think, I think you'd be good. surprised how many people have not seen this movie yet. Sure. But again, this is a review. We have to talk about it. So I remember what Warren said, hey, luckily split, I want to go home. I got a fun, you know, I got somewhere to be with the wife. You know what I mean? And he's telling Andy what to do. So Andy, you know, when he goes back into his office, Andy does the switch for the ledger, the papers, everything with his Bible, with some other paperwork. So he gives it to the warden. He puts it in and then he goes, all right, get my suits to the laundry and tell him, you know, don't, don't ever overstarch my shirts. If not, they're going to have to deal with me. So, you know, Red's saying, ah, yes, Handy shrub those shoes to a high shine, and it makes you wonder why he's. But you don't think about it. why is he looking at the suits, you right? Know, is he sizing himself up for? We didn't know at that point. So as he's leaving, it's kind of funny. His shoulders are a little bit more square. No one, and I didn't take notes that he had the suit on. I didn't know that either. I didn't, to be honest with you, until like after the reveal, right? I was just when so he, glued into it. But even whenever they do like the half shot of not showing his feet either. Yes. And, um, you know, how many people look at it, someone's shoes? No you one. Know, nobody. So that next morning, you know, for breakfast, Dufresne, get your ass out of here before y'all thump your head with something. You know what I mean? And he's not coming out. The one big guard goes up and like, oh, shit, we're in trouble. Dufresne breaks out. And he went through a river of shit is the best way to put it. That's what uh, that's actually the best way to put it, because that's how Red put it. He goes, he climbed through 10 feet of shit just to get out of prison. 500 yards, 500 yards out. And I thought that was just awesome because then the dogs can't even track him. Basically, the only time that they can track him is like in the water area. Yes. So when they tracked him there, they found his prison shirt. Is the 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 soap and the nub of the rock hammer? I like what, the black and white photo of them taking the picture of the nub. That's what that's what. It's like what the. But f- also too, I, the other thing I like is the camera angle. The way the camera angle is whenever he's climbing through the wall. Mm-hmm. I love the camera angle how it's turning to its side. Yeah, they did it. Like I said, they did a fantastic. That was job. fantastic. But the best was like this was when. It's like, oh, when Norton goes, where the hell? Dufresne was here at Lights Out. Where the hell? I don't know, sir. Don't say that to me. He goes, 
Go find them now. Not before breakfast, not after breakfast, right now. And then he brings Red and he goes, you two are thick as thieves. You guys, you must have known something like honest, Warren, honest to God. It's like, oh my God, it's a miracle. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he starts throwing the rocks, you know, the, his rock figures. And my favorite is like, what about you, fudgy, you know, cup, you little cute cupcake? You got anything to say? Fuzzy Bridges. And he throws a rock and then you hear it. And then you hear the metal. They're like, what the hell? And Red's face was priceless. Because it was That's what like, I wanted to talk about was like Red's face, because Red is just as shocked as they were. So that also shows you too that Red doesn't have a clue of what's going on. He didn't They're just as know. surprised as they are. So it's funny because Red was like this. Like, what the hell? Everyone was like, what the hell? And then you hear the alarms going off. So in Red, when that's happening, Andy has Red talks about Andy visiting a dozen banks that day. Totaling $300,000 of Wharton Norton's money. And it's kind of funny because, you know, he goes in with the right identification, Randall Stevens. And one of my favorite things is like, oh, can you please add this to your outgoing mail? Like, nonchalantly. Right. And he sends it to the newspeople and he reads it and he talks about, I guess, the money laundering, the murder. And the big, and then, then you hear the police sirens, and then you hear you see Norton like slam his hand down, reading the cover. It's like holy shit! And then he goes right to the shoes, realizing it's Andy's shoes. <laughs> you know, and and like Red said, it's like how many times do you look at a man's shoes as he, as they pan down to his shoes, walking? You know, you don't at the prison at, in the prison. You know what I mean? Like you just don't realize that stuff, and. I, I, you know, they said how they got arrested and, you know, he was crying like a little baby. I wish I would have seen that. And then Norton comes up and, you know, they're knocking on his door. You know, they have a rookie cop right there trying to open the door. Doesn't even know the key. Like, and then he blows his brains out. Now, I really want to know what his last final thoughts were before that bullet went through his head, too, as Red says it. Like, how the hell did Andy do it? And it's amazing yeah. because that's a scene that when you look at it, you're like, wow. How did he do that? How the hell did he climb through all that crap? The river of shit. The river. Get showered. Cleaned up wearing the suit. You know, going to collect to a dozen banks to collect over 300 grand, dude. Severance pay for all those years in jail. I mean, that's a great haul. And... Red's still in prison after that. Exactly. And, then, and they're still talking about Andy, like all the, all the stuff that they did. Uh, Hayward was talking about when they got the beers, like, yo, he got us the beers, you know. And and they're all laughing because they, they were all good memories of Andy. And um, Andy gets a letter, um, a postcard, not a letter. I, I take that back. Yeah, he got a postcard, unmarked. Don't and he that's how he knew that it was Andy because remember he winds up Andy winds up telling him where he's want where he's gonna be at and everything and what what to expect so that was some right Fort Fort Hawk Fort Hancock Texas that's where he crossed the border as he said he goes I could see my friend in his car with the wind blowing in his hair and you know and all that stuff down in Mexico you know. Like, even though I thought Mexico was a tradi- wasn't a traditional country, but I could be wrong. Um, 
you know, Red <laughs> then gets paroled, and then he went. Red does a whole different tactic. He goes, Sonny, I don't give a rat's ass, and he gets paroled. So right because all that time, okay, we didn't talk about this, but we will a little bit yeah. here because remember when Red is trying to get paroled, he just tells them what he they want him to t- uh, wants to hear. Yeah. yeah, you know, I've been reincarnated. I've been fine. I've been doing everything I need to do out of prison and stuff like that. I, I I think that prison has changed me. Got rejected. Got rejected twice for trying to get into the heads of the parole board. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, you know what? Screw it. I've already spent half my life here. Do whatever you want with me. I'm just done. And right. at that point, it's like in the 1960, I think want to say that was in 1965. Or somewhere around that area, something like that. Yeah, it was yeah, like 1965, 1967, something like that. I want to say the, 67. Yeah. yeah, something like that is in the air. And then, um, as he's talking about it, he gets released and he goes to the halfway house, and he ends up being in the same room where Red stayed. So he goes to work at the um, at the prison at the uh, supermarket where Red where Hadley worked, not Hadley, uh, Haywood. Uh, Brooks Haslam worked. Yep, Brooks worked. And um, it was kind of funny. He's like, you know, he's he goes, double bang. You're made in double bang. Uh, Karen in 1967 at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just loved to throw in a can of pineapple juice at her head. Saying that. So, you know, he, he gets done bagging the materials and he said, hey, uh, boss, restroom break. You know, again, that just shows you how inst- how long he was in prison, institutionalized. And it's kind of funny as he's talking and he's walking back to, I guess, the apartment, you know what I mean, the halfway house. He stops at the same store as Brooks did. And they're showing the guns and the compasses. So he said, and there was one part where he, as he writes, you know, Red was too, you know. Red was here too. Whatever he wrote, he said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this, break. I'm gonna break the law for a second time ever. I'm gonna be guilty of breaking the law." He goes, "I'm gonna break my parole." And he goes to the secret. Well, before that, I should take. Let me reverse that a little bit. Before he start, before he goes down, he he remembers something, and he remembers what Andy said. There's a big black block. There's a tree. I made love to my wife there. And that's the day. That's where I got engaged. Look for an abnormal rock there. There will be something for you when you get out of prison. And uh, Red does that trip. Find, you know, he got the compass to find that tree. He finds that rock, which was a black quartz rock that doesn't belong there. And what does he find? It was a tin of the Titanic. In that tin, he finds a shitload of money. And a letter to Red. He goes, I could use a man like you to get things from time to time. Uh, you, you remember, and he says, St. John, something I can't remember now how to pronounce it. But it was like some kind of a, a, a word that he says. And he gets up. He says, screw this. I'm gone. And that's where he talks about how he breaks the law a second time ever. He's guilty of breaking the law. And it was like, listen, they're not going to put up any roadblocks for an old crook like me. No. Then he takes the bus to Fort Hancock, where he crosses into Mexico. Yep. And then I'm trying to figure out what Andy's doing in Mexico. So he's 
shaving a boat from its old paint that's deserted there. Looks like the boat had a hole in the hull. And it makes me wonder, did he, did he buy a hotel or something in Mexico? Because he's looking for a boat, you know, to fix up. It makes you wonder. And they see each other as like the happiest day of their lives. They're giving hugs and kisses. Who knows what else they do? And, you know, and it, it was, and that's the end of the movie. Right. Now, uh, I like how it opens up to interpretation on what we think happened with the two of them and stuff like that. It's just about friendship. Yeah. But, but remember this, though. He did say uh, to uh, Red that he's going to m- build a boat and go shark uh, and basically try and catch sharks. Oh, that's right. That's right. He did say, yeah. So he found a boat that's laying there. And he's going to go catch a shark now. So, so this is where we get our sequel to Jaws. <laughs> I'm just I'm playing. I'm should have been. Should have been. <laughs> that would have. <laughs> excuse me. That would have been hilarious. Right. But anyways, this is hands down one of my favorite movies. I'm glad that we got a chance to review this film. Oh, this, too, man. this movie still holds up today. I mean, this, this is a perfect movie. If I could actually say this is a perfect movie. This is based off of a Stephen King novella. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too. Red was originally supposed to be a white Irishman, and then Morgan Freeman tries out for it and winds up getting the role of Red, which is perfect. And it's kind of funny. You know what he does say? He, it was a tip of the hat to the Irishman. He goes, why do they call you Red? It's because I'm Irish. Irish. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, under Very underrated movie. Should have yeah. gotten more Academy Awards than it did. No thanks to Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump that year. But it, this movie flew under the radar because of Forrest Gump attention. Everybody wanted his shoes, his gump, bubble gum shrimps. That's what they got. But, exactly. you know, that's not what we got out of this movie. I think it would, if this movie was nominated for, uh, should have been best actor and supporting actor, should have been Oscar nobs for Tim Robbins and uh, Morgan Freeman in this movie, should have been up there for nomination for best movie of the year with Forrest Gump. Granted, Gump should have won the, the movie of the year, but I think, Tim Robbins and Tom Hanks. I, I would have given this movie to Tim Robbins over Tom Hanks's Forrest Gump. Uh, Same here. Listen, I love Forrest Gump. Don't get me wrong. Tom Hanks was excellent in that movie, but I think a prison movie over a man with special needs. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I, it's something about this should have or it should have gravitated more into the more categories, like, right? Best supporting cast, uh, best supporting actor, definitely Morgan Freeman should have been nominated. Um, as a best supporting actor yep yes and and best film in this movie should have it should have been in there out of those three one of them should have he should have won one of the awards either tim robbins winning for best actor over tom hanks or morgan freeman should have won best uh, supporting actor and he this he was never nominated for this movie which i think he should have most definitely so with that got, being said, guys, go on ahead, follow Sleepy G. Go on ahead, subscribe over to his channel. He has a great podcast. I definitely recommend it. I was on it, like he said, uh, at the very beginning of the show. I also have Rossi coming in probably Tuesday doing a review. I think we're doing uh, some stuff over there. I have to check with her as far as scheduling goes. On the 29th, though, I do have two shows back-to-back. One's going to be live. The other one's not going to be live. One's just for audio-only podcasts because I'm changing things up a little bit. So if you want to catch our Goonies review, that's going to be for the audio-only podcast. So mm-hmm. right after the Crichton Hobbs uh, interview that I'm doing with the cast from Find a Tragedy on the 29th of May, 
Uh, we're going to at 8 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Right after that, I'm going to be recording our Goonies review. You guys voted for it. That's what we did do here at Movie Lovers Tonight. We do movies that you want us to review. So I ended up, believe it or not, you guys, you guys actually winded up making a tie for us because it was RoboCop and it was also the Goonies. So guess what? We filled mm-hmm. RoboCop already, and mm-hmm. now we're doing Goonies for you guys. Sean so was- cloth. <laughs> Exactly. So, anyways, thank you so much, Gomez. It's a privilege, as always, to be able to do this with you. And thank you. you. You're very welcome. And, of course, all his links and everything will be in the show notes below for you guys to click on. Smash that like button. Show him some love over there. And don't forget to go ahead and like this video as well. And always until next time, bye-bye.